Welcome to This Week in Surgery Centers. If you're in the ASC industry, then you're in the right place. Every week, we'll start the episode off by sharing an interesting conversation we had with our featured guest. And then we'll close the episode by recapping the latest news impacting surgery centers. We're excited to share with you what we have. So let's get started and see what the industry's been up to. Hi, everyone. I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving with your loved ones. Here's what you can expect on today's episode. James McClung is an ASC developer and consultant at Reliant Medical Services, and he's here to share with us everything we need to know about performing an effective mock survey and how you can make sure that you're prepared for when an actual surveyor shows up in your lobby unannounced with the clipboard in hand ready to evaluate your ASC. In our news recap, We'll cover Google Cloud and Epic's latest plans, a drug shortage created by TikTok, a dire rural hospital situation in Mississippi, and of course, end the news segment with a positive story about a nine-year-old girl who saved her classmate's life by performing the Heimlich. Hope everyone enjoys the episode, and here's what's going on this week in surgery centers. All right. How's it going, everyone? I am your host, Raphael Kinsby, here at This Week in Surgery Centers. We have a really exciting episode this week. This week, we are joined by James McClung of Reliant Medical Services, and we're going to be covering a really fun topic today on performing an effective mock survey in your surgery center. Um, there's a lot of interesting things here, and I know a lot of our guests, or excuse me, a lot of our listeners are excited to hear about this topic. And I want to just kind of, before we go in, turn it over to James for anyone who doesn't know you or hasn't you know, had a chance to kind of hear about what you do. Um, can you give our listeners just a, a bit of a, kind of just an overview on you? Absolutely. Uh, my name is James McClung. I'm a registered nurse by trade. Um, I've uh, ended up starting my own uh, business a little bit with consulting and, and doing mock surveys. Uh, I've been on the Triple HC um, executive or expert content committee. Uh, so they actually report to the standards committee at Triple HC. So no, I don't make the rules. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I help to advise on the rules. Uh, also, um, I'm on uh, the executive uh, uh, board of uh, state the state organization of ASCs here in Texas, which is TASC. Um, and so they would be a representative for the state of Texas to ASCA, which everyone knows is the national organization. Okay. Um, I've helped to run centers as an uh, administrator. Uh, I've been a director of nursing. I pretty much filled and, um, and operated in every position within an ASC. Yep. Plus... I've actually helped to build them as well so and design them. So uh, let's just say I have a passion for ASCs. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, that, that's what I, we like to have here on the on I, the, on I like the to tell people I do crosswalks uh, on the weekend for fun, So, which is, <laughs> which is a mock survey type thing. So There we go. There we go. Well, that's one of the reasons that we wanted to have you on the pod. Um, you've got a, a ton of just kind of expertise there and obviously a passion for for ASCs, which we we have as well here at, at This Week in Surgery Center. So excited to jump in. And I think you're kind of leading off there. You know, we are here to talk about mock surveys. And, you know, just to my understanding, and you, you know this better than I do, you know, mock surveys are really to help you prepare for when you have actual surveyors that show up to your surgery center. They've got the checklist and clip board in hand to evaluate your surgery center. But before we kind of dive directly into that process and what that looks like, 
Can you give us a little bit of just um, understanding on kind of the accreditation process um, for ASCs and kind of the options on the accreditation side before we jump into the actual mock survey? Sure. So uh, accreditation, and I, I, I don't want to answer all the questions at once because I could probably <laughs> just, you know, I'm so familiar with the process and blurted it all out. But yeah. uh, accreditation, it's the gold standard when it comes down to commercial payers. Uh, so a lot of commercial payers like to see centers accredited to work with that center uh, in contracting. Uh, now, I have not seen a center get denied a commercial contract, a commercial payer contract because they okay. were not accredited. So is accreditation required? Well, it depends on who you talk to, and it also depends on your state. However, yeah. in the state of Texas, accreditation is not required. However, a state license is to be mm. open as a, a ambulatory surgery center. Now, okay. is accreditation the gold standard? I think, I believe so. Uh, accreditation is not deep. It's not deemed status, uh, pun intended, but uh, yeah. accreditation is more of a um, consultant type angle, right? Uh, yep. That they take on it versus, uh, you know, like a state health department where they're, they're coming in and uh, they're more of a, an enforcing type attitude, right? Or, uh, yep. you know, perspective on the, on the, the in inspection process. So that makes sense. That makes sense. And in terms of just for anyone who's not totally familiar with um, accreditation and, and kind of going through that a bit, you know, um, can you give us a bit of background on kind of why the accreditation is is necessary um, for an ASC or, or why it would be one of the things an ASC would want to do? Right. And so accreditation, all go, um, it all stems back to quality improvement, right? And the reason why I would say that every center should be accredited is because it's very similar to, to nursing, right? Mm. Now, no one in nursing wants to present themselves as a physician or an MD. Yeah. But when you go to get a nursing degree, they want to promote as many nurses to a higher degree, a PhD in nursing, right? So you can promote the profession. The, yeah. the industry, right? And so it's a, it, it provides a process that if you follow by it, you're not reinventing the wheel. Yeah. A process that is set up and ran to help you not only provide excellent quality care, but to improve your center, your care, and, and the industry. So that makes sense. It's, it's a no brainer in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, the next thing that kind of comes to mind for me then is for a surgery center, is there a requirement for them to have accreditation to be able to perform cases or are there certain cases that can't be performed if you don't have accreditation? It depends on your state and it depends okay. on your contracts, right? Yeah. So to, to be in network with Medicare, all you all you need is a state license and you need to be so you need to be licensed through the state yep. now most states that i know of at least what they'll do is uh, and let's just be honest most state departments are um they're not overstaffed right yeah and so what they will do is give more much more leeway to their inspections or uh 
maybe not even come inspect you at all, right? Depending mm -hmm. on the situation um, and your state, of course, um, if you are accredited. I see. And uh, they, right. So it really depends on what state you're in. Um, and then there is a, I've always been told that you have to be accredited to have commercial payer contracts. So Aetna and United Healthcare. Now, um, <clears throat> I've never seen that in practice and I have seen um, uh, ASCs that do not have accreditation, um, have commercial payer contracts, right? Okay. Um, however, uh, that is on an individual entity basis or yeah. ASC basis, including your state, because, you know, like Blue Cross Blue Shield has, you know, a, you know, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Texas, right? Yeah. So you would have to approach um, your, your pay, your payer contracting specialist. Awesome. Okay. That makes sense. And the, the state variation there seems, uh, seems fairly logical with kind of the, the different, different ways those are structured. So then, you know, as I think kind of through that, and I'm sure this might vary by state as well, but one of the things that we've heard a lot of from different ASCs is that the process of getting accredited, um, can be fairly rigorous and, and many times more rigorous than it is for hospitals. Um, is that something that you found to be true and, and kind of how do you see that varying, um, for different ASCs? Uh, so I would say that it is a very serious process. Um, you're going to need the authority to, um, you know, provide documentation such as ownership structure. Yep. Right. Um, uh, loan information potentially to open up a center when it's a, a de novo or a new build. Right. Yeah. Uh, so you, you would be working very closely with an, a, you know, physician owner, right. Yep. Or, um, have the authority to provide that information. So, uh, you know, at times a legal team could, you know, uh, be helpful 100%. Right. Yep. Um, and then, uh, in, in addition to that, you know, you're not only just applying for accreditation, but you're looking to, uh, especially in a de novo, you're looking to transfer over patients from either one facility to another or a doctor's office to an ASC, plus looking at timelines um, that don't have set dates, right? Um, with commercial or Medicare contracts, commercial payer contracts. And so that's that's where it gets pretty tricky and, and a specialist could help in that situation that has experience. Yeah. I suggest never, you know, um, working with someone solely that does not have experience in opening up a facility or an AAC facility. No. Now, when it comes down to the difference between a hospital, um, I was a safety officer of a, and a emergency management manager of a hospital for, uh, 10, seven, seven, seven to eight years. And, oh, wow. you know, you're right. Yeah. And so I've gone through Jayco triple HC inspections and is it, it's a different process, but is it more difficult? I would, I would probably say no, it's just, okay. it's, it's, it's the same. It's, it's just, it could be strenuous, tedious work where you're having to yeah. uh, either create or put documents into place yeah. that you should have been keeping up with from the living in the now. <laughs> it's like, I like to say it. no. it's, it's, and that could be, 
more difficult. It's easier said than done sometimes. So. Yeah. Do you feel like the resourcing um, in the hospitals versus ASCs are, are, are a little different and make the process any easier for hospitals versus ASCs when it comes to that? Oh, man. Hands down. Oh, hands <laughs> down. Yeah. I would tell you, so in the, in the hospital side, right, there is a department in person for everything. Okay. Um, Oh yeah, and, and maybe some larger ASC management groups might have a quality department, but you would have yeah. somebody come in and go, uh, "You've never seen before," and you then afterwards you would never see again. Yeah, and, you know, I actually worked for a surgical hospital, so it's more it's like a a, a glorified ASC. They they put an <laughs> emergency room physician yeah somewhere in the hospital, and you don't ever want to see them. Right? <laughs> And, and so it was more uh, structured like an ASC where you would have the people that are, you would have people filling multiple roles. I see. Right? So, but 100% in a hospital, they typically have a lot more resources, but that's what makes ASCs great. Yep. That makes a ton of sense. Makes a ton of sense Absolutely. there. So, you know, kind of jumping forward and kind of getting into um, the compliance mock surveys a bit there. Um, for someone who's totally brand new to um, to mock surveys, can you kind of just walk us through it? How does it work? Kind of what are the, the components there to, to a mock survey? Sure, absolutely. Well, the first thing that I would say to do is if you are accredited currently, yeah. then reach out to your account executive for triple hc or jaco and let them know um that you were planning on on a mock survey right yep. um and uh to be perfectly honest typically mock surveys um are contact a person doing a mock survey is contacted when uh, a facility is not living in the now and there might mm. be you know things like backlog or <laughs> you know right you're looking yep. to determine how bad it is, right? And yeah. what needs to be done to get up to speed uh, to, to pass the inspection. So um, you, uh, you know, you wanted to determine that first, yeah. you know, contact your account executive, you know, don't tell them any of that information, right? Yeah. But just let them know because a lot of, um, you know, accrediting bodies like Triple HC, Jayco, they, they take more of a consultative perspective to the, the inspection process. And, um, you know, they might be able to help you or guide you through that process. Right. Um, and, um, whether your experience is, uh, you know, great with that or not, you're, you're, you're communicating with them and staying within communication with them. Uh, they are not there to fail you. They're there to, to help you stay accredited. Yeah. Right. That's, that's their whole point. Um, and then, um, you know, the next step would, and on, I know for triple HC for a fact, but I I'm not sure on Jayco, but it probably does have a section on their reapplication or initial application. Are you using a mock survey? I see. Right. Or, and who are you, who are you using for a mock survey? Yep. Um, but then the next step would be, uh, contact, contacting someone like me. Yep. Um, or, um, you know, uh, a mock survey specialist to come in yeah. and, uh, I'll, I'll stop right there and break because I could go into the, the whole process <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just ask you, yeah, let's let you, uh, 
No, no, that, yeah. I, I mean, that's one of the reasons we wanted to have you on because I think you've got a lot of brilliant knowledge there. And, you know, we, we don't have to go through all the details. I don't want you have to give through give out all the <laughs> secret sauce. But if you were giving someone kind of an overview of like, here is the, you know, three or four or maybe three to five kind of things to expect in a mock survey or maybe ways to prep for a mock survey. What are what are some of those three to five things you would say um, centers should expect or, or prep for? That's easy. Yeah. So, um I will tell you is that every center, the most difficult situations are contracting, right? Are your yep. contracts expired, right? Yep. Um, what is it? Credentialing. Okay. Always, and hot topics, you know, for credentialing, they're they're going to uh, are, are for accreditation. They're going to. Um, rotate right emergency yeah. i don't know if you guys remember but during COVID, emergency management was huge which yeah. i was loving because i came back from a background emergency management <laughs> but uh, uh and i still feel a, a big portion of that will help us to take that next step as an industry will be through emergency management that that's another point so yeah. uh but credentialing is huge are your physicians credentialed is it expired is primary source verification completed Right. Um, and it has to go through your bylaws. Right. Yeah. Um, and then also, are they credentialed for one procedures that are not being performed at the ASC? Mm. And are they credentialed for the procedures that they are performing at the ASC? Yep. And those are those are big hiccups because, uh, you know, without a, a good CBO organization or process, uh, it can fall behind very quickly. Is that so, something that you see is pretty common um, for for surgery centers that you work with in terms of kind of falling behind there? One hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, for on the independent side at least, right? Yeah. Um, and then the third one would be um, human resource files, um, occupational yeah. health, and those are the big three that you know every almost every inspector or every inspection that I've been in, uh, they're going to ask you for ten files, right? Yeah. 20 charts, right? And, uh, you know, credentialing files. So it's, um, yep, those are the, the, the big three right there. So typically what sense. I would do is come in and follow that same process, right? Awesome. And, and I guess to that end, you know, when you think about it for a surgery center who's, you know, thinking about their process around mock surveys, kind of being prepared from that compliance standpoint, are mock surveys something that centers can, you know, can they do that on their own or in, or is it something where you would say they, they should pretty consistently bring in a third party uh, to be effective? 100%. Now, so the, someone like myself, what we are say, we say, we say bandwidth, right? Mm. Now I will tell you is that being able to see and having years of experience being in multiple centers, right. And, and being in contact with, um, industry leaders, um, you know, being on these boards, it, it does give a benefit, right? And, yeah. and, and neat ways to do things. But my first center, I had no idea any of this existed. I was, I was a registered nurse that a pain, a pain doc walked in and was like, Hey, you want to start an ASC with me? And I'm like, I have no idea what that is, but okay, let's do it. I mean, <laughs> what I, I, mean, I was, tw I was in my twenties, right? Yeah. No kids. Hey. And so I, I'm in the back of his office going, what is an ASC on Google, right? <laughs> yeah. and, and right. And so we went through the whole credentialing process, um, yeah. uh, accreditation process just by research and yeah. experience with crosswalks, right? So all you have to do really is 
it, it, for Triple HC and Jayco both, they have Triple HC. I think in my mind does a little bit better job. Uh, yeah. They have, and, and there is Quad ASF as well. So, okay. uh, but that's a story for another day. Uh, but Quad ASF is an accrediting body, and there might be a couple more as well. Just to let you know, and it really depends on if your SQL specialty, what your situation is. Just do your research, right? Yeah. But just because I'm more familiar with Triple HC, in the back of their handbook, they have you know checklists where you can go down go. and check. And, and to be honest with you, as a mock surveyor, when I come in, right, I'm I'm using those as a guideline, um, and uh, that that's the way that I was taught from you know, my mentors as, as mock surveyors. So oh. uh, the, the, the big difference though is uh, bandwidth, right? Yeah. And every, everyone's situation is different. So. Yeah. I, I think that makes a ton of sense. Obviously, you know, depending on the size of an ASC, whether they're independent or not, um, you know, the resource, even going back to what we mentioned before, kind of the differences between um, ASCs and hospitals when it comes to accreditation, like some of those resourcing factors seem like they could be impactful in terms of how they're able to to handle mock survey prep, whether it's doing themselves or bringing in a third party. But um, but that, that seems super helpful there in terms Absolutely. of kind of the considerations. Now, if I am an ASC that's going into this process of, of kind of getting prepped for a mock survey, are there any um, additional like tips or, or trick or tricks that you think would be um, really helpful for an ASC in terms of making their mock survey really impactful? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, so you, my ultimate goal as a mock surveyor, right? Your ultimate, my accreditation's ultimate goal is to yeah. get facilities to live in the now. Makes sense. Right? You, right. So you don't, it's on autopilot and you don't have to go back and backlog, right? Yeah. You don't have to go back and worry about has it been done or not. So, yep. right. Promoting and looking at structure or dynamics within an organization and then determining how you can live within the now, it should be priority number one. You know, you should have a master schedule, right? You should you know, be trusting and relying on the people that are within their departments and, and their sector and their jobs to be a part of quality improvement and to help you to complete that. Um, I, uh, you know, base all of my uh, performance evaluations on, um, you know, being a part of quality improvement. You yeah. know, uh, surgical tech walks in and, you know, Hey, you asked for these you, uh, sterilization logs. Okay, well, is everything in order? Yep. All right. Well, what's the benchmark on that? Yeah. What's it? Then you know, I'll get what's a benchmark, and I'm like, I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> you know the answer to that already, don't you? And I'm like, no. Yes, I do. <laughs> no. Right? You got. You got. It's not a one person job because I tell you, if you try to take the world on your shoulders, and this is really more independence, right? And, yeah. And just coming from experience, um, it can be done, but it can be done a lot more less stressful, right? And and yeah. lean on the people that are are within the departments if you have those resources. Um, but you know, scheduling, benchmarks, right? Good quality improvement, right? Yeah. Um, or um, QAPI, uh, some people call it, uh, you know, just QAPI meetings on a yeah. quarterly basis, right? That getting into a routine is the biggest hint that I could tell you. Now I, I have tools and all that, that 
could help you to fill those out, but yeah. I don't think I could describe those over <laughs> the headphones, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, but, uh, I, will, I will tell you one thing I can describe to you is, is that I don't yeah. see a lot is that you want to summarize everything, right? So like yeah. if you have a, you know, if you don't have it automated, which by the way, there's not enough automation. And, and I will tell you is that it's because automation has not caught up value wise to its cost yet yep. for larger organizations, health systems that already have in place, right? Could you imagine how much it would cost to change a giant process, exactly. right? Like RCM or yeah. whatever it is, you know, from paper to automation, right? Yeah. Right. From yeah. what they're doing now. And, and so there's not enough automation, but if you don't have automation, you want to summarize everything. You want to have one sheet that has all of your contracts with expiration dates, right? And you no. want to be able to have notifications sent to you somehow. And if that you can be notified that way, that's the simplest form that's going to help you live in the now. Yeah, that makes sense. Same thing with the infection control, et cetera, et cetera, right? I Typically, I don't see that. I just see a bunch of paper everywhere. <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, James, I feel like, you know, if there's a theme coming out of this, um, this episode, that concept of living in the now, you know, in terms of, you know, not only from a mock survey standpoint, but just general preparedness for, for a surgery center, I feel like that's a strong theme coming out of it. And I, I love that. And that, I think that's something even beyond just kind of, you know, the application for a surgery center, I think kind of in general for all of our listeners, that concept of living in the now seems like a, a powerful one to take forward. Um, so, you know, with that in mind, though, you know, we do this every week with all of our guests. Um, what is one thing our listeners can do this week uh, to improve their surgery center? And it doesn't have to be related to mock surveys, just anything that you think could improve their surgery centers that they could Easy. do this week. Easy. It's always culture. Right? There we go. Yeah. Set up a meeting, look to find a way where someone else can take a leadership position to step mm. up, right? To promote them into growing and spreading their wings. Look to find ways to highlight positives. If you want to change a behavior, you don't focus on the negative. You, it's not through punishment. It's through promoting the positive behavior that you want to see. Love take it. them out. Go bowling. Yeah. Right, get to know who you you are working with because I promise you, it'll be returned to you in tenfold. Heck yeah, that's all awesome. About culture. I love that. Uh, I'm a big believer in culture. I think that's a as a that's tide a rises, we all rise, my man. Exactly. I love it. Love it. Well, James, this has been a fantastic episode. I think there's been a ton of great nuggets from this that, you know, not only our listeners, but, you know, really all the people who engage with this week in surgery centers can can take from it. Um, you know, before we go, um, anyone who wants to get connected with you on, on mock surveys, um, where can the people find you? How can they get in touch with you? Absolutely. Um, you can call my cell. I don't Can I drop my number? Or, um, yeah, if you want to drop your number, no, um, yes. we'll, we'll call, also throw it in the show notes. Call me. I'm available 24-7, but I'm, I'm here to help, right? Yeah. I, I'm not 
yeah, I, I want to, I believe in the industry. I believe in the business model. I believe this is the future of healthcare yeah. and, 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 you know, patients being more informed. Uh, so give me a call 512-496-8854, or you can, you know, email me, uh, reach out anytime. Um, Jay McClung at ReliantMedServe.com. I'm not going to spell all of that, but uh, <laughs> please. And uh, if, if I don't know the answer, uh, I'll find it for you and uh, point you in the right direction. But uh, hope to hear from you. Thank, Heck thank yeah. You guys. Love it, James. Well, we will make sure that um, our producers put your not only your, your phone number and your email in the show notes. I think you're our first guest who's given their phone number out. So we love it. You might be setting a new precedent there. Bring it on, guys. I want to I want to talk to you. I talk at uh, conferences. I attend most of them. So when it comes down to ASCs, I have a passion for it. And I want to see you succeed. So give me a call. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks, James. We appreciate having yes, you on the pod. Same. Thank you, guys. Have a good day. All right. As always, it has been a busy week in healthcare. So let's jump right in. In a story shared by Healthcare Dive, Google Cloud and Epic have announced plans to allow Epic clients to run their EHRs on Google Cloud. Now, this is extra interesting because just a few years ago, Epic actually announced the exact opposite. They called their clients to let them know they would not be pursuing further integration with Google. So exactly why they changed their minds, we're not sure, but it's certainly good timing for Google because when it comes to market share in the healthcare cloud computing world, they are kind of losing the battle. Um, it's estimated that Amazon Web Services has 40% of the market, Microsoft has 18, and Google only has 12. Hackensack Meridian Health is located in New Jersey, and they plan to be one of the first healthcare organizations to host its Epic EHR on Google Cloud, and will be moving a total of 17 hospitals onto the platform. So some of the perks would be improved analytics, AI capabilities, and added security. So we look forward to seeing what this means for Google and EHRs and the entire industry. Our second story comes from Becker's ASC, and it's a recap of some supply chain updates and issues and includes a drug shortage that was actually caused by a viral TikTok video. They provided 11 updates in their story, um, but here are the four that I, that I will share. Uh, the first, <clears throat> the American Red Cross issued a warning about the impacts of a severe flu season on the nation's blood supply. And now multiple states, including Hawaii and Georgia, are facing critical shortages. So just a reminder to donate if you can. Um, another shortage concern, thanks to flu season, Tamiflu fill rates are 11 and a half times higher than they were at this time last year. And as of two weeks ago, 13 Tamiflu generics were in short supply among six different pharmaceutical companies. Uh, third shortage here. So last year, Philips uh, Respironics recalled three and a half million ventilators due to safety concerns. And the device maker recently told the FDA that two new potential issues have appeared in their reworked ventilators. So unfortunately, those won't be fixed and redistributed anytime soon. And then the fourth update here. So <clears throat> 
Ozempic is a prescription drug intended to help people with diabetes and help with long-term weight management. They are experiencing shortages because people have started using it as a weight loss drug thanks to TikTok. Now, if you just Google Ozempic, you'll see dozens and dozens of stories about it. The drug became popular after a few celebrities were rumored to be taking it, and then it blew up like crazy. The sad part is that it has now left people who genuinely need the medication to manage their diabetes unable to find it. And according to another article by the Daily Mail, the government has actually banned the drug from being shipped globally until we can get back on track. So to see the other seven supply chain updates, we'll put a link in the episode notes so you can access the full list. Our next story comes to us from Modern Healthcare. The state of Mississippi is at risk of losing over half of its rural hospitals either immediately or in the very near future. Dr. Daniel Edney, the state health officer, shared that 54% of rural hospitals in Mississippi, so a total of 38 facilities, cannot keep their doors open for much longer due to financial issues. These hospitals find themselves in a really complicated and dire situation, and here's why this is happening. First, Mississippi is one of the country's poorest states and has a high number of low-income and uninsured patients, which means, unfortunately, a lot of bills do go unpaid. In combining that with a general increase in healthcare costs and labor costs, the situation is just not good. Hospital leaders say they will be out of business before the end of the year without a cash infusion. Now, the Mississippi Hospital Association, the governor, and various other politicians are working on finding an interim solution and then figuring out a five-year and 10-year plan so we don't find ourselves here again. I mean, if that many rural hospitals close, it will be detrimental to the healthcare in those areas, patient access, all of that. So in the meantime, something to think about, there are roughly 75 ASCs across the state of Mississippi. So even if a portion of these 38 rural hospitals do close, that's going to impact the entire healthcare ecosystem. And ASCs really need to start preparing for how this might impact them. Um, I mean, there is going to be nurses out of work, patients looking for safe places to have procedures, and really just a lot of confused communities looking for a place to turn. So it's a good idea to start discussing the possible impact with your staff and just stay really close to this story. And to end our new segment on a positive note, a nine-year-old elementary school student in Wisconsin saved the life of a classmate by performing the Heimlich maneuver on her as she was choking on her food during lunch. Essie Collier, a fourth grader, noticed one of her classmates grabbing her neck and looking distressed, so she ran over to help. And Essie said she watched a YouTube video two years prior that showed her how to perform the Heimlich, and that's how she knew what she was doing. Uh, Her classmate was perfectly fine after um, everything was cleared, and the school plans to honor Essie during their next board meeting. So perhaps we have a future ER nurse or doctor on our hands here, Uh, but great job, Essie. And that news story officially wraps up this week's podcast. Thank you, as always, for spending a few minutes of your week with us. Make sure to subscribe or leave a review on whichever platform you're listening from. I hope you have a great day and we'll see you again next week.